Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Book Burners, Season 2, Episode 15. One. Asante's apartment was exploding. With her three kids over for dinner and the grandkids with them, eight going on nine, everyone was trying to talk louder than everyone else. Her husband and older son were arguing politics, as they had for years. Asante was aware by now that they did it as a kind of sport. Each knew the other would disagree with him. Each knew he'd never convince the other that he was right. It sounded like they were fighting sometimes, but they were both thrilled. It was their way of saying, I love you. The grandkids were having a real fight that Asante's youngest dispelled by getting all of them a snack. Pans clattered in the kitchen, smoke and steam. Asante was about to step out for palm oil. She had no idea she'd run so low when the phone rang. Asante, the voice said on the other end. Is he scared, though? It took her a moment, but then she remembered. The Mexican professor from the conference. They'd exchanged phone numbers and email addresses in Russia. How are you? She said. You sound busy, he said. Later tonight is better, she conceded. Can it wait? You could say that, Iscierdo said. He found something about her question funny. I'll call you, she said. Okay, he answered and hung up. So all the way to the store and back, all through dinner and dessert, between the small dramas and big comedies that brought her family together, she wondered what on earth Iscierdo could want to tell her. She waited until her family had left picked up the phone, and dialed. I found them, Iscierdo said. At least I think I did. Team four, Asante said. He seemed confused for a second. Then, yes, yeah, yes, if that's what you call them. The Vatican's wizards. I know where they went. How did you find out? The academic problem was one of synthesis. All the scholarship we needed to locate them was in existence. It just happened to be in seven different languages. So how many languages did you learn between the conference and now? None. I collaborated with some colleagues. There was my story about the hikers, which put them somewhere in the Tatra Mountains. Another tale about an army battalion that went missing placed the site of their disappearance at a specific distance from the border with Romania. Which may have moved, Asante said. It did indeed, Iscierdo said. We allowed for that. Then there were four accounts. These proved crucial in Polish, Romanian, Slovak, and, of all things, Turkish, of travelers from abroad in the Tatra Mountains encountering a person who could only be described as a wizard. 
The stories say he used magic? Yes, which makes him impossible to believe. And the magic he uses is small, maybe one step above a parlor trick. But it is consistent with a certain character, which is very interesting, because the stories are decades apart. When is the most recent one from? Perhaps a century ago. There have been no sightings since? If there have been, we are unaware of them. It's possible that no one is writing them down. Perhaps they're in a state's archive somewhere in Poland. From the communist era. Yes, some have been open to researchers, but not all. So it's possible that there are more. Yes, though that's beside the point. Right, Asante said. So, where are they? Our location is surprisingly exact. In fact, according to our maps, there is a town there now called Białochatka. It means white cap. And it is well named because it refers to a peak north of the town that has snow on it for much of the year. Team 4 put their town inside another town? Białochatka was built during the communist era as an industrial town. It failed. Lately, there has been an attempt at tourism, but it is not going well. I see. But the location of your wizards is, we think, even more specific than that. According to what we know, if you stand in the right spot in Białochatka and face north, you will find that four prominent peaks create a compass. One due north, one due south, one due east, and one due west. That is where the wizards are. Why do you think they did that? Asante had her own ideas, but she wanted to hear it from Iskierdo. Because the place the wizards created is somehow there and not there. It's hidden. There is something you have to do, a, a mechanism to make it work. A spell, a ritual you have to perform, I'm, I'm not sure. But if you do it right, you will be taken there. That makes sense, Asante said. Do you know what the mechanism might be? Iskierdo said. The orb, Asante thought. We just need to hit the right switch. I have an idea. What is it? I can't say for sure, Asante said. Not yet. She hoped he didn't hear the hesitation in her voice. Are you planning to publish your findings? She said. No, of course not, Iskierdo said. We may be zealots for our work, but we're not idiots. Asante laughed. But I will share what I have with you. Thank you. And now I have to ask... You will not share it with anyone else? Of course not, Asante said. I thought as much, Iskierdo said. I would never have called you if I thought otherwise. Thank you so much, Asante said. Let me know if you discover anything more, he said. I will, she said, and meant it. Two. The boat heaved through the windy chop of the Mediterranean Sea, halfway to Tunisia from Italy. The captain Manchu had convinced to take them out was chortling the whole way, obviously enjoying the ride. Even more than Manchu's discomfort, he seemed to be enjoying Sal's and Grace's grim determination. He laughed harder when Liam got sick over the side of the boat. But Asante was most concerned about Francis and the orb, which they'd packed in a waterproof chest that Francis was keeping from sliding around by sitting on it in the pilot house behind the captain and the wheel. So, you really think you have it? Asante said. Yes, Francis said. I think so. Explain it to me again, please, Liam said, wiping his mouth. I'd like to know it and bury my lunch at sea in vain. 
There was always a part of the manual I was unable to decipher because, out of context, it made little sense to me, Francis said. Something about being a spool rolling up the fabric of time. You're right, Liam said, us gibberish. But Izquierdo's information made me revisit it, and I suddenly understood that what they meant is that the orb was capable of rolling up everything around it somehow, disrupting time. So you figured out how to use the orb like a time machine, Liam said. Not a time machine, Francis said. More like outside time than through it. Or inside, I think. What does that mean, Grace said. The truth, Francis said. I don't know. I only know that whatever it is, it's what Team Four did. And the orb can let us do it too. Which means that maybe we can follow them wherever they went. Inside time, Sal said. She couldn't help giving Grace a long look, that Grace purposefully didn't return. And we're coming all the way out here, why again? Liam said. Well, Francis said, because I don't know quite how wide a net the orb might cast or how disruptive it might be. The captain let out a short, sharp whistle. He pointed starboard to a long, flat, rocky piece of land that seemed more like an apparition floating on the water than like a genuine island. Good thing the church owns the kind of property that can double as a bomb test site, Liam said. Let's hope it's not a bomb, Menchu said. It won't be, Francis said. What's the name of this place? Sal asked. Testa affondata, Asante said. It means sunken head. Because of the shape? I think so. It does look like that, Sal said. Like someone's head face down in the water. Sal seemed to go somewhere else for a minute, mentally. It made Asante glad that she'd never been a cop herself. Testa Afondata was bigger than it seemed from a distance. A skirt of shadows around the edges of the island resolved into small cliffs. A smear of darkness at the waterline turned out to be a beach. Above it, the island was covered in patches of grass with a few shrubs, a stunted tree or two. As they neared the beach, they could see the outlines of the foundations where a few small houses used to be, close to the water. On higher ground was the silhouette of the ruins of a larger building. What's the story with this place again? Sal said. The church has owned it for centuries, Asante said. At one point, there was a monastery here, that's what the ruins are, and a fishing village. Village? Sal said. Looks more like a family lived there at best. It's just what the records say. Maybe at the time, eight fishermen and a bunch of monks was a village to them. Though not a very self-sustaining one if there were no women, Sal said. Asante laughed. The captain slowed the boat down, brought it as close to shore as he could, and motioned for Liam to drop the anchor. Then Grace and Liam lowered the green wooden dinghy attached to the side of the boat into the water. Asante, Sal, Francis, and Manchu got in. Grace followed. Liam lowered the crate holding the orb down to Grace as if it were made of glass, then got in after it. Francis sat on the crate again, and Grace rowed them to shore. They carried the crate over the sand and set it down on solid ground. Is the orb all right? Asante said. Francis had opened the crate and was moving her hands across the device's dials and switches. It seems fine, Francis said. So what happens now? Liam said. It was a rhetorical question, Asante knew. They'd all agreed they shouldn't test the orb in the archives. They knew that Francis's discoveries would help them change the way they move through time, maybe even take them to the some when that Team Four seemed to be, but they didn't know how. Also, it seemed like a good idea not to take the entire Vatican with them. We do what we came here to do, 
Asante said anyway. She nodded to Francis. Come closer to the orb, Francis said. I don't know how widespread the effects are going to be, and I want to ensure that it affects us all equally, to the greatest extent possible. They gathered closer, shoulder to shoulder. So, do you cast a spell? Sal said. No, Francis said. It's all mechanical, or at least the outside of it is. The magic wands are on the inside, Liam said. Given that I don't really understand how the orb works, that's as good an explanation as any, Francis said. Very reassuring, Grace said. Francis crouched over the orb in the middle of the circle of her colleagues. She looked up at Team Three. There is a very small chance that this will kill us all, Francis said. Or maybe just some of us, or just me. Still not reassuring, Sal said. I'm trying to be honest, Francis said. Just do it already, Manchu said. Yes, sir, Francis said. She took a deep breath and whispered a few things to herself. They were, Asante knew, the key words that led her through the rooms of the memory palace she'd constructed for herself to remember the orb's instructions. She began moving the dials and switches on the orb fast. The orb hummed to life, delivered a rising moan that fell again. Asante heard Francis mutter fuck under her breath. You have it, Asante said. Yes, Francis said, sounding a little irritated. She recited the key words again, moved the dials and switches on the orb even faster. The moan rose from the machine once more. Francis paused for a moment, turned one more switch. The orb lit up in a flash. In another flash, the light had expanded beyond the orb to cover the beach, the entire cove, the rise in the island, past the outlines of the village, the ruins of the monastery. It spread over the entire island. The sky turned a wan orange, a permanent sunset, or maybe sunrise, though there was no sun. It was the color of tens of thousands of skies from tens of thousands of days, blurred together, shot through with blasts of pink. The ocean had risen above their heads. The ocean was nowhere to be found, and the seafloor stretched out below them, a sandy plain sprinkled with trees as though they were up in arid mountains. All these things were true at the same time. Fish swam in the sky below them, alongside giant extinct birds, but they were all moving very slowly. The fish struggled as if they were trying to swim through honey. The birds' wings heaved up and down, not fast enough to stay aloft. They should have plummeted to the ground, but there they were. The boat that had brought them floated in space, offshore, underwater, a hundred yards away in the air. The captain wasn't laughing anymore. He was running like the birds, sluggish and straining from one side of the boat to the other. He stared at the anchor chain, still hanging off the side, attached to the anchor embedded in the soil. Seaweed had already wrapped around the chain close to the top. Farther down, the branches of a scraggly tree scratched against it. The captain looked up and gave a glacial wave. Asante could see the panic on his face. Asante turned her head, or tried to. She had to put far more effort into it than she would have thought. Her head pivoted, finally, and the village was there. A small cluster of houses with gardens and tiny fences, clotheslines with laundry flapping in the breeze. Someone was burning a small pile of trash farther down on the beach in the sand. She turned her head back, and the village was not there. Even the outlines of the foundations were gone. On the top of the hill, she could see the outline of the monastery, its high walls, the tower on its northern end. There was someone manning the windows up there, watching the sea. 
There was nothing but empty space. On the beach, 500-year-old boats flickered in the waves. She looked at the rest of the group. Francis was still crouched in the blurry sand next to the orb. She looked like she hadn't moved at all. Sal, Manchu, and Liam had taken no more than a step away from the circle they'd formed. Asante hadn't realized how animated their faces usually were until she saw them slow down. Not perfect like a film, imperfect, unstable, quivering at the edges like a bad dream. Only Grace seemed to be moving at a normal speed, but her brow was furrowed with exertion, her lips set. She was putting everything she had into it. Here, now, this was what her superhuman speed looked like. Asante heard a garbled noise from down the beach and turned her head again. Someone was running toward them, a middle-aged man in homemade clothes. His pants were rolled up to his knees, his legs were wet. Like everything else except Grace, he was moving in slow motion. For a second, he disappeared, then reappeared again a little closer to them. He was terrified. He looked at them and started to shout, but Asante couldn't understand what he was saying. He made eye contact with her and then looked above and beyond her. Asante followed his gaze. A long, streaking ribbon of a creature was spiraling down out of the sky. It seemed more like the kind of animal that should be seen under a microscope, its body too long and slender, its enormous wings too narrow, the gnarled teeth jutting from its mouth far too big in proportion to its face. But it was much larger than that. The size of a person, Asante thought, then saw as it got closer that she'd misjudged. It was the size of a car, no, bigger. Not a lot bigger, but bigger. It swept down with a sound like a gurgling siren. Asante wanted to run, but her limbs wouldn't move fast enough. Grace's could, though. She stepped between the descending thing and the rest of Team 3 and held her ground, the muscles in her legs tight like a gymnast ready to do a handspring. The open mouth thing was close enough for Asante to see the gelatinous-looking texture of its luminescent skin. Grace jumped out of its path, reaching down as she rose to grab one fang in each hand. She pulled them apart. The animal let out three short barks, then a howl of pain as Grace, her feet still airborne, kept pulling. Whatever was holding the jaw together gave way, and the creature's face split open as though it had been cut in half. Grace pulled some more. Her feet were returning to the ground. She peeled the thing open like a banana, and it slid to the ground, lay there panting for a second, and then deflated. They heard four more sirens, announcing the arrival of four more of the ribbon creatures. A deep croak resonated from behind the island's hill. Whatever that was, Asante didn't want to see it. Below her feet, she could see that one of the calling creatures was flying up through the ground she was standing on, as if there were no ground there at all. How can I even see it? Asante wondered. Turn it off, Francis, she said. Turn off the orb. It took an agonizingly long time for the words to come out of her mouth. Four more winged ribbons of flesh were curling down from the orange clouds. Over the top of the hill, they saw a tip of horn. Francis was working the dials as fast as she could. Asante could tell, but it was like watching an instructional video. Oh, most, she said. Two syllables like pudding. She hit a last button. The light changed. A blue sky, white clouds, the ruins of the monastery, only the traces of the fishing village. The boat that had brought Team 3 to the island bobbed in the gentle waves. That was not what I was expecting, Francis said. What just happened, Sal said. You said that we'd be going some when, Liam said to Asante. I'll seem more like anyone. Or every when, Sal said. 
Help us out here, Liam said. I think you're getting at it, Asante said. We didn't so much travel in time as seem time collapse around us. And they passed on future then, Manchu said. Possibly. We didn't see any evidence of the future, but maybe that's because the church does nothing with this place. But then we were somewhere, too, Grace said, and those creatures felt right at home there. Manchu nodded. It was a place in itself, somehow. Asante, Francis said, do you think Team Four could survive in a place like that? She thought about that for a moment. Yes, she said. They would have had to be prepared. It would have been an incredible undertaking. But if they could get there and been ready to stay, unlike us, then they could have just gone and not come back. And maybe not aged after that, Francis said. You step outside of time, you stop aging, maybe? Asante felt Grace looking at her. Yes, she said, maybe. Um, Sal said. She wasn't quite sure how to phrase her complicated question. So if we were every when, God, I hate talking like this. What do you make of the thing we saw flying up through the ground? You saw that too, Asante said. Sal nodded. That wouldn't be possible if there was always land there, right? I don't know. I'm still not sure what rules were governing what we just experienced. Asante, Sal said. You're supposed to be the smart one. Make some assumptions and run with it. Just give us something to hold on to. Fine, Asante said. If those animals fully inhabit the everywhen, do we really have to call it that? Sal said. Do you have any better ideas? No. Then it's the everywhen for now, Asante said. That we saw what we saw, if we understand the rules correctly, suggests that the land wasn't there at some point, yes? You mean before the earth was created? Sal said. We didn't see anything that suggested we were back that far. Asante frowned. You have a point. Francis looked uneasily around. Asante could tell she had an idea, but didn't want to say it. What? Asante said. You said it seemed as though time collapsed around us. Maybe that was the part where we saw into the future, she said. In the future, the land disappears, Asante said. Francis shrugged. I don't like it any more than you do. How would the land disappear, Grace said. Sal thought of the pink flashes in the clouds, the pink sky when she traveled with the hand back to where he was from. Magic, she said. That's a lot of magic, Liam said, a lot. Asante didn't know what to say to that. It's a very, very good thing we didn't try this in the middle of Rome, Manchu said. We'd have brought a hundred unsuspecting strangers with us. Amen to that, Liam said. So, what do we do next? Grace asked. Asante could see she was getting impatient. Unless anyone has any better ideas, Asante said, given how this test went, I think we should follow our directions to wherever Team 4 went in Poland and try it again. Except this time be ready for a fight. And if Team 4 isn't there? Asante shrugged. We go home and keep looking some other way. Do you have any other ways? Grace said. Not yet. They heard a shout from the direction of the water. The captain was screaming and waving his hands. He wanted to get out of there. What do we tell him? Sal said. We don't even know what happened ourselves, Menchu said. Asante detected a weight in his voice. Just pay him, Grace said. Nobody will believe his story anyway. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. 
Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords, so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location, so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Three. For the next day, all Francis could do was run ideas and theories by Asante about what they had seen, how far back in time they might have had a chance to witness, how far forward, whether they actually traveled in time or time had opened up to them somehow. She'd ended up demonstrating her conception of the experience to Asante using a slip of paper she cut from a notebook and stapled into a shape like a Mobius strip, only somehow more complicated. Then she stopped herself midway through her explanation, cut the loop into a ribbon again, twisted it another way, and stapled it again. We hovered somehow within reach of all of it, this everyone, yet somehow not within any of it. She paused again. It's hard to describe. It should be, Asante said. It's magic. Asante saw a lot of her younger self in Francis, but Francis was turning out to be more adventurous, a little braver than Asante had been at her age. Maybe even a little reckless, and that had helped her navigate the world in which they found themselves. Asante wasn't worried. She liked Francis's enthusiasm. It was good to be around her, good to see their quest for knowledge through Francis's eyes. For Asante, it was a kind of validation she wasn't used to getting from her colleagues. Not that she needed it, but it was nice to have. Asante, we need to talk. It was Manchu, his hands clasped in front of him like he was about to deliver bad news. What do you need? Asante asked. First, Manchu said, looking at Francis and then at the other acolytes close at hand. A little privacy. 
Francis gave Asante a questioning look, and Asante nodded her assent. I'm hungry anyway, Francis said. Be back in half an hour. You said enough time, Asante said to Menchu. Yes. Good. A half hour then. It came out strongly. Asante really didn't have time for this, not with what they were planning. She watched with gratitude as Francis moved through the archives, tapping the other acolytes on the shoulder, making sure Asante and Menchu had the space they needed. Asante had been right about Francis. They already understood each other perfectly. Is this about the trip to Poland? Asante said to Menchu when it was clear that everyone else was out of earshot. Yes, Menchu said. Good, there are a lot of details to work out. The biggest involves transporting the orb itself. I'm very worried about taking it on a plane, and perhaps worse, it being confiscated in customs because the officials don't know what it is. Could we declare it as some sort of art object? Asante, Menchu said. Or will it not pass inspection that way? Asante said. It's difficult to see it as anything other than a machine. Though, on the other hand, the most insane things pass for art these days, don't they? Asante. What? I'm afraid you've gotten ahead of yourself. Asante felt herself bristle just a little, but fought it back. In what way? She moved to the desk to offer, with a gesture, a cup of tea to Menchu. He declined. I'm very, very concerned about what we saw on Testa Fondata. It was disorienting, wasn't it? Asante said. But we know more about what to expect this time, and Frances has said she learned a lot about how to use the orb from the tests we ran. I believe her. She's very capable. Yes, she is, Asante said. But you don't worry about activating the orb in a more crowded place, the number of people we might bring with us? I don't think we can be responsible for them. I thought of that too, and I agree, Asante said. We'll just have to wait until we're alone. And Francis thinks she can make the affected area smaller. We might even be able to limit it only to ourselves and our very immediate surroundings. Though, if we have to make a mistake, I'd rather we take too much with us than too little, if you understand me. I'd hate to leave a couple of toes behind just because I was being cautious. That's not all, Menchu said. What assurances do we have that the orb will work the same way it did on Testa Fondata? Well, Asante said, Francis has done her research. As far as she knows, and she knows better than anyone here, during the test on the island, the orb worked as it was designed. And Francis understands that design much better now. Will she learn more by testing it further? We talked about that, Asante said. In an academic sense, yes, of course, but I'm not sure we have the time. And are you certain that Team 4 is going to be where your source says it's going to be? Certain is a strong word, and one that I don't use often. I wouldn't use it right now, but I believe we have enough to try what I want to try. You're going to endanger us all because you want to try something. Asante took a breath. I know how much you don't want to do this. I don't, because I am not sure what we stand to gain. Knowledge, Asante said. Have I ever wanted anything else? If Francis and I are right, we'll have the chance to talk with people who know far more than we do about our work. And maybe they don't. If you are right, they have been sitting in the mountains of Poland for a few lifetimes. What they know could make us better at what we do in, in a thousand ways, Asante said. It could change the way we do everything. You mean justify using more magic? Not necessarily. Then what, Menchu said. I need something I can bring to the Monsignors. I don't outrank you. You can go where you will and do what you will. And you can take the Orb and Francis with you. But I am responsible for the team. I have to justify to Fox and Anjuli what we're doing as a group. And I shouldn't need to tell you this, but I need to justify it to myself. 
Arturo, she said. I know what magic has done to you. I don't expect you to like what I'm doing. But I hope you can see that I'm not being naive about this. I'm pushing for this because I'm worried. I'm worried about the network, and I'm worried about Liam after his experience in China. I'm worried about where the society is going. And most of all, I'm worried about everything we've seen in the past few years. We've both been doing this long enough to notice, haven't we? I don't know what you're suggesting. That the magic in the world is getting stronger. You have no evidence of that. I know that in the past year, we had a couple cases that seemed like hundred-year cases, once-in-a-career cases, Asante said. And the hand was a breach the likes of which the society hadn't suffered since it started keeping records. Manchu didn't respond. Asante pressed on. We need new ways to fight it, she said. Ways that aren't so reactive. You want to fight magic with magic, Manchu said. Asante flinched. There was Manchu's past, the destruction of his village at the hands of a demon, lying on the floor, bleeding between them. There was no way she could win on those grounds. She switched tactics just a little. That isn't what I said, she said. No, tell me how it's different. It's different, Asante said, because we've seen so many mistakes that we already understand a little more how to not make them ourselves. And Team 4 might be able to help us even more, not only to avoid making mistakes, but to help others avoid them. Maybe we'd even get good enough at using magic defensively that when the network begins whatever it has planned, we'll be powerful enough to undo it. You think Team 4 will be able to make this possible? I don't know, Asante said, but I think we have to find out. Manchu paused. Even before he spoke, Asante was pretty sure she had won. I can tell you, Manchu said, that I will consider you to owe me a great favor if I can convince the Monsignors to allow us to do this. To bring the orb out into the wild, like that. To further our push to use more magic. They may be a little divided now, things may be chaotic, but they will be united in their opposition to use any of magic whatsoever. And will likely first ask why they haven't fired you yet. I'll make your case to them. But they've only read our reports. They've never seen anything we mention in those reports. Even the catastrophe here in the archives. They only saw the aftermath and that we could fix it in a few months. Do you understand? They won't be happy. Convincing them will require both appealing to their sympathies and placing myself in their debt. It'll weaken our chances of getting their permission for the even riskier missions that I'm sure will follow this one. You say you want us to become better at our jobs, more effective. This action may run against that. It may make our jobs even harder. And God help us if things get much worse and we aren't prepared. That is why I'm doing this, Asante said. Manchu sighed. I'll talk to them. Manchu stood before the Monsignors in the hearing room of the Vatican. He just finished explaining Asante's plan. He had explained it as he thought Asante might... He had told them about his own reservations, and then explained in the most positive language he could muster how Asante had addressed those concerns. It was the best argument he could put together. And at the end of it, both Monsignors were frowning. Well, Fox said, neither of you should be surprised that I object to everything about this plan. I'm struggling to find a word gentler than idiotic. And Julie took a breath. I have to say, Father, that I also have my misgivings. Manchu reached deep into the small part of himself that once tried to save his village through magic. We have to try it, he said. 
I am afraid things will be worse for us if we don't. And how will they be worse? Fox said. I don't know, Manchu said, which is part of what makes it frightening. Neither Monsignor said anything to that. I'm not going to win on this logic, Manchu thought. I have to use something else. If this goes wrong, he said, I accept full responsibility. Of course you do, Fox said, but Manchu could hear the eagerness in the Monsignor's voice. He liked where he thought Manchu was going with this. In fact, Manchu said, if we create more problems than we solve depending on their severity, I would consider stepping away from any defense of my actions, and I would acquiesce to whatever demands you may make of my team. Grace, Fox said, you would let me reassign Grace. Manchu couldn't bring himself to agree to that. You are placing much at risk, Anjuli said. Manchu could see that he was coming around. I have the best team in the Vatican, Manchu said. The best people I can imagine for this job. He spoke with complete conviction. Then he told the Monsignors what he convinced himself was only a small lie. I want to see where this goes, he said. Anjuli nodded again. Fox turned to Anjuli. Let my objection be clearly noted, he said. He turned back to Minchu. I hope you get what you need from this expedition of yours. If you don't, and if something goes awry, you can believe without a doubt that I will take advantage of it. Do you understand? Yes, Minchu said. Good. And so Team 3, Asante and Francis, were bound for Poland with the machine Minchu didn't have the first idea how to use. Though he was pretty sure it could kill them all if they pressed the wrong button. The only thing that was left to calm him, allow him to do his job and believe that they would get what they came for, was faith. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El Motar, Mur Lafferty. Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber, and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. 
Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.